0: As another year of Exploration Radio draws to a close, it is time to look back on some of the valuable nuggets of industry wisdom our guests have unearthed for us. At the end of each episode, we ask our guests two questions. What is something that must die in our industry, and what is something that must live? That something can be a concept, an idea, a business practice, a mindset, anything. The answers have been many and varied, and they are always a valuable insight into our guests, their approach to life and business. This is part five of our ideas and must series. I'm your host Ahmad. Come join us and let's explore. So we always ask, I guess, two questions at the end. Right. First question: What is something you think that needs to die in our industry? Could be an idea, <laughs> a concept, a behavior. Here we go. <laughs> what do you think we need to jettison out of the industry?
1: <laughs> so. I gave a talk at PDAC a, a few years ago and, you know, as you know, Canadians are very polite. Um, I don't know, there must have been 150 people in the audience and I was talking about change and technology and stuff like that but at the end of the talk, I, I looked up and I said, uh, the only way this fucking industry is going to improve is when half of you are dead. <laughs> <laughs> you mean how science progresses one funeral <laughs> at a time? We need a bit, a bit of accelerated Darwinism, right? Yeah. Uh, in a way, oh, we're getting more trouble now. But you know, the COVID and the disease of the unvaccinated is a bit of an acceleration. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. So. Darwin experiment. <laughs> yeah, another so. experiment. But I uh, know oh, that that's a bit terrible, isn't it? But um, but I think I think young people need to be enthused about it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think um, like we're talking about right at the start, it's a fucking exciting thing to do travel the world, see places of the planet you've never seen in your life, get millions of dollars to test crazy ideas time and time again, w- within reason, you know, mm-hmm. um, is who wouldn't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? And But I don't think it gets conveyed to young people like that, maybe. And and so and it's not just about geochemistry, it's really about geoscience. And the the other thing I talk about a lot now is, and I gave a talk to a whole bunch of young chief just a month ago here in Perth, Was you know, decarbonising the world isn't. It is an existential crisis. That word again for mm-hmm. the for the globe, right? Yep. And yes, it needs oh. the battery metals to think about, but we actually need shitloads of copper, and that's a problem. Right? <laughs> that's right. Yep. And um, so and I made this point at the CET at uh, UWA as well. Was um, I, I said to these young people, I said, "This is not my problem. I'm an old fuck. I'll be dead. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. This is your problem. Yep. You young people, it, it is your job to solve this. It's your job." to find the resources we need to decarbonise the world and it's a very, very serious problem. The other thing I said to the guys at the CET was you should be really exciting young people to get them into the courses to do it and you should be teaching them to find ore deposits which are politically acceptable to mine in 15 or 20 years using technologies we haven't dreamt up yet. Yep. Right, And that's I think that's a really clear message for our industry and I like giving it but I don't think it's given enough. Right? hmm it's, well, it's that generation's responsibility, right? Yeah, it's not ours anymore. We're too old.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if you kind of look, you know, like if you kind of frame it that way, if you look at any industry that's best placed to kind of utilize a technological leap, you know, it's definitely got to be the industry we work in. Yeah. So from that point of view, uh, you know, not only is is the industry that we're in a um, a conduit for more technological change, but that technological change will actually have an impact on, this as well, industry. right? Yeah. So, so there'd be a nice kind of cycle from end to end that, you, you, and that would be a much more fascinating story to kind of sell to people.
1: And, and you know what? We needed to have started this yesterday.
0: I
2: know, I know. Not today.
1: Yeah. I, I, I used to despair of all of this for a long time, but now <coughs> uh, still despair of it a little bit, I suppose. But, you know, there's obviously been a, a sea change, you know, the, the, the ship has you know, the trains left the station. The ship has left the shore. Mm-hmm. People acknowledge the problems now, but now we've got to fix it. And you know, I was talking to some guys down in in Perth about you know car manufacturers and that, and they think there's going to turn a tap on a lithium comes out of it, so another tap and some co- some some cobalt comes out, and some know. it's just a item on a list. You just fucking order it. Where does it come from? I don't know. Yeah. But mate, 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 it, it, it might not. You might turn the tap on. There might not be anything there. So. I know.
0: And I always find like, you know, like that, uh, like one of my pet peeves is this, you know, like the the uh, copper demand uh, curve that we seem to see, you know, like you could go back 10 years and you'll see exactly the same curve, right? But the, you know, the reality is that, you know, the even if you just take electric vehicles, the infrastructure that we have to build to allow them to occur, you know, like that's not going to happen quickly, right? No. And at the present rate, that's not happening at any at any rate on that cra- the graph that people have kind of made. So, no, so.
1: And, and we've got to do things differently just to fill in the copper we use now when mines yeah, go yeah, out production, that's and, um, and copper especially. Yeah, so do that's... you
2: think we paint that this is a technically challenging enough discipline? Because I, I, I despair that this isn't doable, mm. that this is actually, uh, the industry's trending the wrong direction for the challenge that's in front of us?
1: So this might get me in even more trouble now. But um, So yeah, so the industry has a problem rectifying this. It, it's like um, when you're part of the problem, actually part of the problem, <laughs> it's hard to fix yourself, right, because you yeah, don't see your yeah. problem. It, yeah. it's just a yeah, unless
0: you're thing. a masochist, you really don't want to. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> but I, what, something needs to change. Mm -hmm. in our industry and one scenario I've painted to a few people I know well some of them is um, I think one of our big multinational companies, not gold ones the the base metal ones I I think uh, 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 an Amazon or Musk needs to come in and say you know what I'm going to buy you for fucking spare change (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sack the board, get rid of half the exco, and I'm going to get rid of the assets that I don't like or don't agree with, and take you off the market. So I don't, don't, don't no longer need to be pandering to idiot analysts that can't see <laughs> further than two years in front of their own <laughs> hand. Um, and I'm going to make this cool. I'm going to make this a mission to save the world, right? And this this big company I'm going to task with doing that. And we're going to go out and we're going to just do it differently, right? And it's still hard, right? Rocks are hard, mining's hard. Yeah, you know, all the same challenges exist, but go with a different mindset. Then, but the reason for doing this is they may or may not be successful, but the world will look at that and go, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, yeah, and it will change. Yeah, Yeah, this is worth doing. You you get all these people looking at that, going, "Oh my god, Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't know." Um, It
2: doesn't seem that hard if we could just unwind the past to paint that right now. The challenge is a technically needs the best, the best and the brightest, and is worth doing for the sake of the planet. It doesn't – the hard part is we've got, obviously, uh, a history that we have to deal with. We do. And we don't have the industry in the current position that it needs to be in. So this is – these are. I can't see any other way of doing this other than disruption. Yeah. Somebody like Elon going – waking exactly. up one day and going, not only do I need nickel and lithium, I'm going to have to do it myself. Yes. Yep.
1: And yep. to do that, I'm going to take some spare change out of the bank.
2: Yeah. It yep. isn't going to happen any other way.
0: And Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So it, I couldn't agree more. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, conversely, yes. and last question, uh, what is something that you think we need to maintain in our industry at all costs? Something that you think is fundamental to our DNA that we shouldn't forget?
1: Oh, the greatest asset. So, talking about geoscience, I suppose, in uh-huh. the industry, uh, the greatest asset is what's between your ears, truly. And, you know, if you can't maintain a, an inquiring, agile, questioning mind, then forget it right the, the day the day you lose that you shouldn't be in the expiration game <laughs>
2: if you if you can't is that a call for sacking half the
0: industry <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said that not me <laughs> yeah. yeah that's
0: right. no, the, if p- you, the person that's selling the product is not going to say that
1: <laughs> if you can't get i mean just the, the conversation we just had new people coming in to going, I'm, I'm going to go and find more resources so we can decarbonize the world i'm going to get excited about that his and then they go and man it's hard but shit I can get millions of dollars and I can go and drill holes and try and find things to help the world right Um if that doesn't excite you then man get out mm-hmm. but we've got to find enough people that think like that and and that again it goes back to that the younger generation and trying to
2: enthuse,
1: enthuse them around that it. it's yep. a and here's a word of Paul House will listen to listeners at some point, but um, it's a noble cause. It's a, we wind him up. He call, He rings. It's a noble cause. We wind him up. About it. It's too much of a wank word. <laughs> but it's actually a, a no. It's a noble cause, mm-hmm. and and it's it's man, it's just critical. And yeah, uh, you know, I talk to people obviously about this a lot, and I say even in even in Perth, which is bloody sustained by mining, basically, <laughs> uh, young people think it's uncool, and you go, well, it, it's actually it's cool. Yeah, yeah. We're fine. here to save your ass, yeah. actually, and you need to understand that. And we, for some reason, we have a difficulty articulating it, or we haven't thought to articulate it.
0: Uh, yeah, and and know, we're pretty bad at kind of marketing. Uh, well, I think yeah, that, well, we know, like that, that at, yeah, like that. That's the kind of the, the concept. And we have
1: this history, right? And and man, if people don't understand the stats of COVID, then trying to get them to understand the, what mining does to the world it might be a bridge too far, right?
0: But, yeah, yeah. That's a.
1: But you only need to find. Like, you don't need to convince the entire world. You need to find this group of people who can do it mm-hmm. and get them into our industry. So it, it doesn't need to be a broadcast thing. You need to target a group of people
0: to bring in. Yeah, that's uh no no exactly. Um so uh that's pretty much that's pretty much the end of our interview. But we also try we're trying this uh a little bit of a different tag. Mm-hmm. Um do you have uh you obviously traveled and you kind of mentioned um yeah, a little bit about your travels. Do you have a travel story that comes to your mind if I ask you, give me your best one?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, there's a few. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll tell you a particularly Irish story. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so Barry Murphy, if he's listening to this, will remember this. So yep. uh Pesimico did a lot of exploration in Ireland. So did Anglo. So I've been to Ireland many times with Pasuminko, Anglo and as IO actually. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's zinc. It's elephant zinc country. Right? Yep. Uh Anyway, not there to not talk about zinc in this case. So, uh, so I've travelled a lot, but there's only one country on one trip where I've seen two cocks. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> bleep. Um, <laughs> so it's odd, right? So Barry, you know, if you ever driven around Ireland with an Irishman on those very narrow roads, they drive at about three hundred miles an hour and terrify the shit out of you, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, anyway, we're just driving along. We raw past this little. Uh, little town uh, and there's a guy out on the side of the road uh, just jerking off <laughs> like, I said to, I said to Barry I said is this normal here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the first one right and then the, the second time we are in Dublin and Barry's listening to this he'll laugh his head off but we're in Dublin and, and we're talking to a guy we're actually trying to buy some historic GECM data off him which is all on paper maps and want to digitise and make it digital mm-hmm. uh, anyway he had his back to the window we were looking at him looking through the window in Dublin very narrow streets we could see into the building right next door anyway the, the, the blind was down so as we're talking to this guy the blind goes up and there's a guy standing there stuck I said to Barry I said mate that's two
3: <laughs> <laughs> is Ireland really like
1: this and anyway that's sort of oh that. that's brilliant
3: but the Irish right it's yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I can, um, so I mentioned this story before you came in, and now that we are at the end of our interview, I feel comfortable saying this, because this could possibly be the end of the interview right here. But, uh, you know, the first time that I met you was not really the the time that I met you, but I met your, most of your possessions and everything. And it was uh, 2008, yeah, it was a, uh, it was the, what is it, the last uh, weekend in September. And, you hosted the, the <laughs> fucking grand final yes. <laughs> yes
1: yeah and, in 2008 yep oh my god really yeah, yeah. Shit. and all
0: i remember about I've that i still not I'm,
1: watched that what no i've
0: not watched one minute yeah. of that. So. and what i remember about that is that I, I think i now kind of figured out that maybe it wasn't your house that the party was held but there was a party which was uh that you know you were the architect of and i remember coming to the party when you were MIA for for known reasons, because your team was losing at that time. And then I left the party without seeing you either, even though it was your party, and you still had not made an appearance at that time. I I think
1: I was (laughs) sitting in Steve's garden drinking heavily.
0: (laughs) Consolidated. (laughs) Consolidated.
1: Ah. That, that was one of the odd things about IO. We used to have the grand final parties. And, yep. and they were wildly popular, but there were years where Geelong was in it every year. So it was just massively stressful oh. for me. Just massively fucking stressful. I can remember
2: um, you destroying Port Adelaide, yes. which is my wife's team. Yes. And having to walk all the way home from Stephen's house to uh, to North Perth with my wife. And she's wearing a Port Adelaide. And the abuse that she <laughs> was <children laughs> getting from everyone. Geelong destroyed Port Adelaide. <laughs> it was a long walk home.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, what is it? The largest grand final loss between the two. And the only reason I know that is because my wife is a rabid Hawthorne supporter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she's going to hate this. But I haven't she...
1: dropped the wrong word yet.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. I can feel it coming.
0: Yeah. And uh, I have to say this is uh, one of the best stories is that she... Paid an exorbitant amount of money to fly to Melbourne. We were living in Perth at the time, and she flew to Melbourne not to go to the game, but just to watch the game in the living room of her parents' house.
1: Uh, look, and look, I, I look, I get that. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Despite her being a Hawthorn, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, even so, the year prior when Geelong won that grand final, because the last time they won a grand final prior to that was the year before I was born, which is 1963. That's how. I'm and even when they, uh, when they beat Port in 2007 by that huge margin, I was not convinced they were going to win until about halfway through the last <laughs> quarter. And, uh, <laughs> and I will admit to shedding a tear in Bounders' upstairs toilet. <laughs> not that we're passionate about football or anything. No, 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 that's fine.
0: Um, no, that's it. That's us
1: done. Thanks a lot for joining us, Dave. This is great. Thanks no, look, thanks for the opportunity. It's been, it's been great fun.
0: All right, two last questions for both of you before we we finish up. Uh, So the first question, and this is a question that we ask all of our guests. So first question, what is something that you think needs to die in mining or exploration? It could be an idea, a concept, a behavior, uh, something that you think we need to jettison out of our industry.
5: More transparency, uh, you know, perhaps sometimes even enforcement uh, is important. uh, And making sure that exploration is a serious endeavor that's uh, genuinely looking to add value rather than having some of these lifestyle companies.
0: Well, you're not going to make many friends with that comment, Rob.
5: I know. <laughs> Maybe
6: edit that one out, actually. <laughs> nah,
0: it's it's funny, it's it's all right, Rob, because we've had a whole episode on this with, um, I don't know if you know, John Goodman from Dundee. Yeah, basically, we did a whole uh, episode with him because he came on. And yeah, this is one of his bugbears, obviously, as an investor, uh, so, yes, yeah, so it's already been put out there and he slammed a few people along the way. So I, I don't think uh, yours is going to be that, it's not going to have that, that strong and illicit response, hopefully. But I think it's something that a lot of people should say a lot more. I reckon. And uh, Francois? I
4: know. So, so what it was, it's not so much stop doing, but well, in a way, but uh, so we collect in a mine environment, for example, or advanced project stage, uh, but it's more especially in a mine or near mine environment, we collect a lot of data. And the data sits there in databases and it's being modeled, uh, not always in leapfrog 3D, that kind of stuff. And, and what, uh, I find is that having a model then becomes the endpoint as opposed to it being the starting point to ask questions and try to use that information, collated information to understand controls of mineralization. Why is it in controls of mineralization in general, high grade and so on? So there's a whole, uh, stage of analytical or geological analysis or interpretation work that, that needs to uh, augment the collated information. And I find that this piece um, is is uh, commonly weak uh, in, in, in my exposure to different companies. So we have the, sometimes we don't have the information, but when we have it, it's collated in, in 3D models or whatever level plans or maps. But then that should be the platform for the real serious work. And I don't see enough of that. So what you, what the industry should stop doing, it should stop ending at having collated the data, go beyond to analyze the data in terms of what it means for mineralization.
0: Excellent answer. I think it's 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 a great point that you know we seem to think that the job uh, of exploration geologists or even geologists is to just make sure that the the data makes it into the database and the job's done. You know, we seem to forget that that's the there's a whole another part of the world that we should be
4: working on as well. Yeah, it, it's not articulated that way, but that that's that's in essence that's what it is. And the other one is uh stop looking at your drilling database and sections only. Look at level plans. Geologists are trained to look at level plans, and commonly. Um, if you're in an environment with steeply plunging folds, if you only work in section, because that's what the software is designed to do, uh, then you're missing the picture. So you always need to look at level plans as well. But this is not um, a natural uh, thing that's done by the younger geologists. So stop looking at just sections, look at level plans. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Um, and so conversely, and last question, what is something that you think we need to maintain in our industry at all costs? Something that you think is fundamental to our DNA that we should never forget?
4: Geology and observations remain the foundation of our of, of exploration.
0: Nice, short, and sharp.
4: I think for me, there's two things. Uh, one is uh, understanding
5: the uh, business of exploration how how best to add value um, using the you know shareholders' uh, money, basically. And the other part is uh, making sure that you understand completely what the community um, concerns and issues are. That's that's really, really critical and that's something you need to do better at.
0: Excellent. That's a great point. That's it, guys. That's the end of our interview. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Thanks a lot for joining us.
4: My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity, i
7: You know, I'm at age 69, I'm not a capital consumer anymore. I'm not raising money for anything. I'm allocating capital to things. Mm -hmm. So, a circumstance where capital becomes more scarce and as a consequence, where the rents on capital are higher benefits an old fat guy like me. Uh, It doesn't benefit. Uh, a capital consumer, a younger mm-hmm. person, an issuer,
0: but also like fundamentally, you know, if capital becomes expensive, then uh, you know people have to think harder about uh, how they go raise capital, and 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 then yep. investors think about how how much they want to actually capitalize things. So you know, so in that environment, surely our performance will increase. You know, like you you would think logically, it has to increase. Correct. Or we are all dumb. You know, that's the only other uh, outcome out of that.
7: Well, you know, ultimately uh history takes care of dumb people Mm -hmm. uh even collectives of dumb people the outcome isn't pretty uh but that happens
0: yeah that's right yeah that's right i mean eventually there has to be that correction at at some some you know
7: weimar weimar germany was a very dumb circumstance Mm -hmm. they decapitalized germany uh and the result of the collective stupidity of the german people was a guy named adolf hitler Mm -hmm. there are consequences of being stupid yeah yeah that's and they're right. Grave.
0: Um I mean I have to say Rick like we could keep going on this forever. Uh we have to we have to get you back on the show at some point because I
7: look I look forward to it. It's it's a, it's a delight to have an interviewer not say when will the price of gold go up. It's it's nice yeah, to have yeah. discussions that are actually of value.
0: Yeah like I don't know about you like you know like I obviously don't have the level of experience you do or or, or have seen these kind of cycles. But you know like I often kind of sit in these in, in you know like these kind of discussions around um, you know, like how to improve the industry or something. And people just go, well, we just got to improve improve the commodity price. And you're like, that is the last of our worries at this point. You know, there's a whole lot of capital inefficiency, uh, you know, performance inefficiency, all of these things. You know, we could be doing a lot more about fixing that rather than, you know, worrying about uh, this whole, like, narrative around where's the price going? You know, like, I, I just think it's kind of irrelevant.
7: I, I mean, frankly, the good news in the industry is, and I don't want to sound like an ESG type, uh, Mm -hmm. the good news in the industry is that there are more people that look like you and fewer people that look like me. There are people from around the world coming into the industry. They say there's a shortage of talent in the mining industry. No, there's a shortage of old white talent uh, and that's dying out. And that's a good thing. There's more women in the industry. The idea Mm -hmm. that we could ignore the intellectual inputs of half of humankind is really phenomenally stupid. Yep. Uh, but there's some bad things. The industry has been taught some very bad habits. The 1970s taught, invest, taught investors that what they should look for is optionality in commodity prices rather than efficiency in production. And that yep. was a very, very, very back Uh yeah, the lesson. Right. You know, the, there was a wonderful cleansing that, experienced, that we experienced in the 1980s. You know, I was more principally involved in the oil and gas business then. And the decline in the oil price from $30 a barrel to $10 a barrel uh, made people for a while, much, much, much better explorers and much, much, much better producers, mm-hmm. the lame, the halt and the blind that had populated the industry towards the end of the decade of the seventies went back to selling cars or whatever it was that they should have been doing and That's took high. them out of the oil business. There was a real cleansing of the deep of the gene pool that took place in mm-hmm. their markets. And ultimately, uh, I think the cleansing of the gene pool that happened among the producers in the last decade has made them as an example much more prudent allocators of capital today. Uh how long that will last is a different question of course.
0: That's right. I, I mean, you yeah, know, like the the uh the capital allocation in kind of the 2005 to 2010 boom, you know, was ridiculous. Okay. Uh yeah, like uh, and I think, you know, like we've had someone on the show that kind of made the comment that, you know, it's always interesting when, uh, you know, like say acquisition behavior comes around in booms because, you know, how often do you see I- ice cream salesmen buying, uh, ice cream trucks at the start of winter? You know, I can say, but, you know, so we seem to do that a lot at times. And you go, right. well, yeah. And then do we, and do we wonder why we have problems with, uh, you know, like capital return when, when you're behaving in this way? Correct. And the other point that I think you made, which I quite like, and you kind of made it earlier as well, is around, um, yeah, uh, you know, like technology. I think one of the one of the pieces that I think it's really going to change, and and maybe you know, arguably the industry hasn't been as as good at kind of utilizing it, is the the democratization of technology will allow us or allow different people to be involved in the industry. That's not just our industry, but across the board. All right, uh, you know, you made the comment that yeah, it's going to be you know six people in a garage in Mumbai or uh, Lagos or something, and you just have to look at things like the prevalence of um, you know, telephone banking or you know, any type of mobile banking in uh, many African countries, you know, like they are far ahead of that that curve because uh, the, the level of democratization they can get out of that technology, you know, is is phenomenal. And I think maybe that's, you know, that's kind of the next revolution for us as well is that, well, why do we have to have people sitting you know, in kind of a mining jurisdiction? Why can't we use the intellectual capital that's sitting on the other side of the world in a different way and, and utilize it in a different way?
7: I think that's, intre- that's completely true. I mean, almost every mineral deposit that's ever been discovered outcropped. We stumbled exactly. over it. Yep. And you know, we're going to have to do better exploring undercover uh, and projecting d- geology. We're going to have to do that. I have no idea how we're going to do that. It's going to be people like you uh, who figure that out. I'm, as an example, amazed uh, at the advances that the exploration business has made using aster imagery. Uh, mm-hmm. Doing photo differentiation from space in 2000 kilometer blocks uh, and ruling out 99% of the 2000 kilometer block so that you can focus human activity mm-hmm. in places where, as an example, there's uh, alteration, where there's structure that's so big that it's mapped from space. Yep. Uh, the idea, as an example, that you could explore the Tethian metallogenic belt mm-hmm. because astro imagery requires you know, fairly sparse land cover in order yep. to work well. That you could explore an enormously prospective belt of rocks that is a consequence of sociology and uh, politics hasn't been explored with any technology more sophisticated than a pick and a mule. Yep. Uh, tells me that when we get around to the convergence of technologies that Robert Friedland expresses so eloquently, that the future of exploration is very bright. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's just that we don't know how we're going to get, my generation doesn't know how we're going to get to that future at all. It involves technology we can't spell. Mm -hmm. It's going to be your generation that does that.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, the, the, the hard part is that a, we don't know the path yet. You know, how do we get from here to there? And we don't know the time that it takes, you know, like Mm -hmm. to get there. And I always kind of express it that, you know, um, You knew that if you were 200 years ago, uh, you you knew that we were going to create some method of communicating that would allow us to communicate faster and connect and communicate with many people at the same time. You know, but no one then could have predicted that we would have an iPhone. You know, we Mm. knew that we would have a mechanism, but we just didn't know that we would have an iPhone. Uh, you know, or we would have social media or whatever it is. But instinctively, you can think that by human nature, you know, we would have gotten to a point where we would want to communicate with as many people as possible, and and yeah, you know, we would try to grow our social network. And I think that's kind of the same in in exploration. We know that we need to get there, but we're not quite sure which path are we going to take to get there, or how long it's going to kind
8: of take.
7: Well, you know, mercifully, uh, there's enough entrepreneurs in the world that. We... The big thinkers don't get to decide what the one path is. Exactly, uh, it's useful uh, if there's a thousand points of light, none of which are <laughs> muzzle flashes. Uh, meaning, <laughs> meaning that exploration isn't driven by government, as an example, or maybe, maybe even driven by BHP or Rio Tinto. That's fine, uh, but rather that exploration, and maybe exploration is driven. Uh, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to see exploration partly driven by Bill Gates or Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember 10 years ago, maybe longer uh, when Tesla was still in Santa Barbara being asked by Tesla to give uh, a discussion to them about rare earths and energy metals mm-hmm. and talking to the young people about Tesla, about the organization, financial organization of the exploration business. And I remember saying, you know, one of them saying, boy, if ever there was a, dis- a disruptible business, you know, He said, oh, yeah, I've never yeah. heard of anything so antique and arcane as what you're describing to me. And,
0: uh, well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the current kind of financial structure that we have, you know, to particularly fund exploration and even to a large degree, I think, to fund mining as well. You know, this is probably the worst system we could have in place. Right, like yeah, the the way that the different agents kind of interact, you know, mm-hmm. like we would have to try hard to probably have a worse system than than we currently have in a lot of ways.
7: I, I, I'm not sure that's true. I'm sure that if exploration was funded by government, as an example, ah, oh, that's true. Yeah, that would be an even bigger disaster. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, seeing the Russians snatch defeat from the jaws of victory around the world, uh, but you know, actually seeing the lunacy of the U.S. government in the oil and gas business. Uh, it could be worse. It absolutely yep. could be worse. Uh, rather than allowing the private system to fail, uh, we could allow government to fail wholesale. Yeah, that's true. That could happen.
0: Let's do it again. I, like, you know, we'd love to have you because we didn't talk about you know, like the whole jurisdictional risk. I want you to have that rant at some point as well.
7: Love to have that rant.
0: I'll put it here. You have a standing invitation to come on and rant with us at any time you want.
7: Great. Well, it'd be fun to do
6: 100%. Yep. The secret source is culture.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people that say that the, the corporate world can't learn anything from the sports world, but I actually don't think that's true. I think that, you know, like that idea that if you, you know, you're all kind of on a level playing field and how do you outcompete your... Uh, competitors, essentially, you know, that's a lesson the corporate world should take on: is that it's not about getting more resources; it's not about getting, you know, like all of these things. It's about optimizing what you kind of have, and how better can you do that with culture and and the softer skills and things like that.
6: I absolutely see it: that the the companies that are committed to culture, and I won't mention names because I'm not going to betray any trust, but it's clear.
0: P- please don't, because we might get sued. Yeah, so let's yeah, yeah. let's keep them out, anyway. Yeah.
6: Now it's clear that the ones that are committed to the culture are by far the better organisations. It's so obvious when we... So you're 100% right, is commit to the process. It works. And I, I say that to people all the time. Commit to the process. Commit to the people. Commit to developing really clear systems around what your culture looks like. Don't get outcome focused, Yeah, you because know, things are going to go wrong at times. But I, I talk about talent-based teams and behavioural-based teams. Be a behavioural-based mm-hmm. team. And you'll continue, yeah, you're still going to drop a little bit and, yeah, you know, whether it's the pandemic or the, you know, interest rates go up or whatever it is.
0: I mean, there's always things that are external to the business, right? But to control everything that you can control as best as you can and, you know, like uh, if the pandemic comes, well, mate, like, yeah, you, nobody could have forecasted that. So, yeah, so that's going to be a hit to your business, but control what you can in that aspect.
6: Yeah, and Look after your people and be really clear on what your culture is. And I think whether it's in the corporate world or whether it's in the sporting world, it's 100% right. The ones that are committed to their people and committed to their culture are unequivocally the best organisations.
0: Now, when you look back, with the benefit of
6: hindsight, what would you do differently? Probably as a player, I would have taken more notes. Um, I think that would have been really valuable. Just you know, jotting some things down, as I was going through my career, I think I think I would have been a more selfless player, you know. Because now I understand the the absolute notion of team. When when mm-hmm. when you're playing, yeah, you know, even though it's captain of Fitzroy, you're still fundamentally looking after yourself, and that's your responsibility. You know, I've got to get myself up every single week. So I always say to people, yep. if you can coach before you played, you're going to be a much better player. Yeah, but you clearly, clearly you can't do that. So I think I think the other thing I would probably sit down with my coaches a bit more and and sit down with David Parkin and Robert Walls and and have more conversations around. Well, what what did you mean by that? You know, you give me a spray on the weekend and I, I, I I know I deserved it, but what's the impact? What What are you seeing the impact? So so probably understanding more behind what the comment was you know i think that's probably something that I, that I would like as well um they're probably two of the main things when i look back on it you know two or three of the main mm-hmm. things that I, I look at and i wish i had it done a little bit better
0: so is this something that you think that you would um you know now with hindsight definitely do more of as as you were going down that path like yeah you know, like the more i guess more the focus on relationships you know would you would you value would you value that more along that way
6: as well I think I think we always had pretty strong relationships at Fitzroy and pretty strong relationships at at Sydney. probably again, it's probably just the concept around team. I know it sounds silly, but you know, when I look back on it, and probably because Fitzroy was struggling a bit, and I probably started to focus too much on myself, you know because when you're losing, you go, well, and it's such a media driven organization, you know, like how can I be the best player this weekend? And i know it's a small thing because i think yeah when if you if you think you're playing really well you think you're helping the team but when i look back on that Mm -hmm. i probably did some things in games that were selfish you know and because i wasn't yeah i wasn't thinking necessarily how can i help the team i was thinking how can i be the best possible player now when i look back i probably thought that was the way that i thought i could help the team But I reckon if I had to switch my mindset saying, how can I help the team better in this quarter? How can I help the team better in this game? How can I help the team better during this week? I think if I had more of a team focused, um, I might not have won as many individual awards, but potentially I would have had more team success because I would have understood by me doing something slightly differently might have impacted another team member to think about the team, mm-hmm. another team member to think about the team, another team member to think about the team. A bit, so it'd be interesting to, to talk to my coaches and, you know, see, did they think I was selfish at times? And I, I, I would think if they were honest, they would say, yeah, you know, I, I was a good player and but maybe I was a bit too selfish. So that's probably one thing that I'd, if I had the time over again, I'd really have to think more about the actual team side of it rather than, mm-hmm. and again, want to make it clear, I don't think I did it I think I did it to make the team better because I thought if I played better individually, our team would be better. But was that really the case? Was it a case of me looking more at how can I help my teammates rather than how can I be the best team? How can I be the best on the team?
0: Particularly at Fitzroy, I think the perspective you have now is because you know how the the tale of Fitzroy ended as well but you know but when you're in the middle of it you know like that was an organization that like you didn't know which way it was gonna go yeah like the you know there were days it seemed like the club was gonna close and like yeah so 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 it's I, I think it's actually probably okay to understand why players uh, in that setting might have become more selfish or more mercenary to go, well, you know, like, mate, I got to do whatever I can to kind of see my career prolong. And I always think it's really hard to know what the full impact of that is on you until you kind of go through the chapter and onto the other side.
6: And I think it helped me at Melbourne because Nathan Jones, who was um, you know, their best player by fair way. And I remember it just helped me inside Nathan's head to think, Well, I know why he's playing the way he is, because he thinks that's absolutely the way he needs to play to be the best player for this team and then for this team to be best. So having that experience myself as captain of Fitzroy and seeing what Nathan had been through allowed me to establish a really close connection with Nathan, to explain to Nathan, and maybe that was talking to myself. Like I was almost talking to myself then going, Nathan, no, I need you to do this. And we had some really good conversations around that. So to your point, When I'm in it, you can't really see it. You don't really know what it Mm -hmm. looks like having been through it and then trying to coach Melbourne. And I think that allowed me to have a really strong connection with Nathan and change his philosophy around him having to be the best player every single week into playing a really important role for the team and i think it made him a better player and made us a better footy club.
0: Paul obviously you know you're very passionate about leadership and management would you do it again would you take on another leadership position?
6: I, I enjoy what i'm doing now. I love being you know with performance by design and you know imparting the wisdom and on you know cuz it's sort of trying to put an old head on young shoulders and it's really yeah you, know, mm-hmm. you ask me what i'd say to myself you know often when you're young you don't listen to anyone you know so part of what <laughs> i try and do now is give experiences tell stories try and help people understand because unless you've lived and breathed it, it it's often hard to to put it into actions and outcomes so I really enjoy I've enjoyed yeah you know, I've been really fortunate went to Fitzroy as a 15 year old had an amazing experience amazing leaders Bernie Quinn and Laurie Serafini Mickey Conlon Gary Wilson and you know came up with Matty Rendell and Scotty Clayton and you know Gary Pert and Johnny Blakey and Alistair Lynch so incredible experiences Yeah, I think now it's, yeah, I've had those experiences I've enjoyed my time in footy. Um, I'm still doing some work at North Melbourne, more on the leadership capability with their exec teams and stuff like that. But I think it's, I now just enjoy imparting the wisdom and and helping people. And if they want to be helped, I'm here to help them. If they don't want to be helped, then then that's okay. They've got to go through their experiences themselves and people learn at a different rate. But trying to, I guess, trying to put an old head on young shoulders is the best way I can describe what I'm trying to do now.
0: Yeah, like I guess this is one of my kind of uh, bugbears is that I think, yeah, like in the the corporate world, we are often um, quite quick to, I think, move people on because, yeah. you know, maybe their technical skill set or, you know, particularly their skill set around technology, you know, depending on what industry you're in, you know, you go, you know, like it's it's now trying to teach an old dog new tri- trick. So, you know, like we're, we're going to give this up. But I think what we fail to value is the softer skills yeah. that those guys uh, have picked up along the way, or those people have picked up along the way. Uh, you know, like even though they're not kind of doing the technical job you want them to do at whatever level they are in the organization, but they have value in kind of imparting the softer skills to people around
6: them. Hundred percent right. And even it's funny. I think even the language we've got to change because when we talk about the softer skills or the little things, like it's funny, and we catch ourselves as well. And even by that nature of, oh, it's just a little thing. Now, hang on. Is it? Is it a little yeah. thing? I know. The softer skills. Are they a softer skill or are they a skill that we actually really value? And I think. I know. Yeah, 100%. I think some of the things that we, we collectively have to change the way we talk about things because you're 100% right. If I'm, if I'm starting a company or hiring a CEO or you know, whatever, those softer skills around empathy and relationships and asking questions. They are number one on my list. Absolutely number one mm-hmm. on my list. Because I know now, having been around for 40 years, both footy and the corporate space, they're invaluable. That person mm-hmm. will bring in the technical capability. That person will bring in everyone together. That person will support everyone. It's the other one That's right. that completely forget about the softer <laughs> skills that have got us into trouble, you know, and and we look we look at the last two years and some of the things that have happened, and and we you and I spoke about it. We won't go into it because we could take another hour to to dissect it. <laughs> but they've got no yep. soft skills, zero, because that's right. It, it's all about technical capability. We can all get take technical capability or acquire technical. So the the person that wants to bring us all together, one of the great sayings I reckon is, "A rising tide lifts all." lift all boats, you know, if we can start bringing people together, start lifting people up, well done, building relationships, taking people on the journey with us stop this divide and conquer mentality that's existed around the world and particularly in Australia, we got to get out of that mindset. We've got to pull people back together. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Those people are incredibly invaluable and will become more invaluable um, as we're trying to dissect the next, you know, the next 12 months, 18 months, two years.
0: That is the human trait that, you know, like our ability to interact with people across kind of the spectrum, you know, like inevitably a lot of the technical stuff, you know, for, for all intents and purposes will probably be taken over by some level of technology. Yeah. You know, like we know that's the case, you know, like that's kind of it's going to go there. So so I find it like fascinating that, you know, like organizations for all the money that they put into technical development and then you kind of look at how much money kind of goes into you know, the, the human development, I think. Uh, and you go, well, like, you know, clearly that's probably not a great trend if you're not kind of putting value in in one side and only putting it on the technical side.
6: And then and then you wander around going, How do we end up getting here? Because yeah, exactly. you've spent no money on your people. You've spent no money on your culture. Yeah, you've got this amazing technical side of your business, but it's about your people. It's people will, I don't care whatever whatever business it is, you know, most businesses are people business. So don't be surprised when you look around and go, Geez, how come we have got a bad culture? How come no one's talking to each other? How come everyone's arguing? Everyone's pretty, really good at what they do, but no one yep. really cares about this company as an organisation. All they care about is what their job is, getting a paycheck, going home at night and the, all the transactional things around—is that what is that? Yeah, is that the company you want to work for? Eventually, no, I guarantee.
0: I mean, I think the younger generation is kind of voting in that sense, right? Like, you know, they want more meaning. They want more yeah. uh, connection to what they do. So, and I think that's just all part of being human. I mean, you mentioned like, you know, the people business. I remember this, like, um you know, Adam Simpson, you know, the West Coast yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, head coach, you know, he made this great point that, you know, like in West Coast, they, they kind of divide players coming in into three kind of lifestyle buckets. You know, so it's like the 18 to 25-year-old lifestyle, which is all young kids, you know, they want to go to nightclubs, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they want to party hard, they want to do this. And, yeah, and they put them together, and then there's kind of the uh, players that are like you know mid twenties to late twenties, which are all about going to brunches and Instagram and going to fashion shows and all that stuff. And then there's kind of the, the group that's you know like thirty plus that have families and are settled and and yeah. So you could have a player that comes in at twenty two that goes into the family group, but he's like, but you know we realize that we can't actually treat an eighteen year old that wants to party hard the same way as a thirty two year old who has a family and and a life. And yeah, like and I remember listening to that going. Yeah like I work for an organization that has one HR policy that applies to everyone. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's probably a bit of a faux pas, right? Like we probably need to have ability to handle people that have kids and you know like all of their uh, outside work interests that that combine but we also got to recognize that you know the 22 year old is probably going to go on a night out on a thursday and probably going to come over slightly worse for wear a little bit dusty on friday but we got to accept that, that that's where the lifestyle in they are and, and, and you know we got to kind of cater our hr policy around those we can't just apply one rule to everyone across the board
6: i'll never forget this i think it was my 1st preseason at fitzroy and i was i was sort of 16 or 17 i remember we must have been training very well and there was 80. And to be fair to Wolsey, there was bloody 80 players and he wouldn't have had a clue some of their names. And he'd give us a cook and we ran in and he said something like, you guys are all equal here and you'll, I'll, I'll treat you equally and then we'll pick the team first round. I remember sitting there going, I'm standing next to Bernie Quinlan. He's won a Brownlow medal and I'm equal to him. That does not make sense to me. And I understand, I sort of understood what he meant but again what Adam's saying is we have a set of values as an organization and everyone's equal it doesn't matter mm-hmm. but around those we have different people you know we we you've got to understand each individual and their different personalities what makes every yeah. one of them tick and I think the strength of the, of the swans and I suspect for what Adam's saying is you know if if Leo Barry comes in and he's got to take his kids to To school the next day because Sarah's crook and absolutely, you know, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, mate. As long as you get in, I know it's a recovery session tomorrow. I'll let the I'll let the players know. I'll let the leadership group know. Um, and can you come in at noon? And I'll come in at two o'clock. Hundred percent, because we've got to be respectful of. of, Now that's not to say (laughs) I know with Adam Simpson he just. He wasn't happy because a lot of the players went to the nightclub when they shouldn't have just recently. Now, that's That's not to say Adam's not going to kick someone's backside when they go against the team rules Mm -hmm. and the team strategies. But you're 100% right. One of the things I wrote down in my 25 points on October 9 and 9 is 44 senior players, all individual personalities, treat them individually, 100%. And I think too often we have this one-cap-fits-all policy. And again, getting out... Again, getting back to Bernie Quinlan, hang on, he's won a Brownlee medal, kicked 100 goals. I haven't played a senior game yet. You're telling me I'm the same as him? No, don't expect me to believe that because I actually don't believe that. That's not true.
0: And now, and this is what I mean about like kind of the motherhood statement and kind of the granularity. You, know, like you understand the motherhood statement. We yeah. want to keep everyone equal, yeah. but you also got to realize where the rubber meets the road, it's got to be a little bit different for everyone along the way as well.
6: Yeah. And I think in, in your culture code, that's absolutely true. And I would say this if you've got a player sitting here, mm-hmm. and I suspect Simo is the same, you know, in our culture code, 100%. You know, everyone's equal in doing these things. But around that, how we treat Adam Goods compared to how we treat Brett Kirk or Mickey O'Loughlin or Leo Barry or Stewie Maxfield is based around their circumstances at, at that particular time. I remember Teddy Richards. That's right. Rizzi, I've got an exam tomorrow. I know we got main training. I said, "Mate, you got an exam? All right, we got main training. What, what, what time's your exam?" Mate, it's right in the middle. All right, let's. just, Okay, there's an example. We treat people. We treat people the way we 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 they expect to be treated. <laughs> He's got a, he's got a right. life outside. He's, we want him to get an education. We want him to look up. So, how do we deal with that scenario? And that's exactly what Simo's saying. It's a, it's a great point.
0: Anyway, Paul, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but this has been great. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for joining us. It's, it's excellent to get your insights in kind of the, you know, the diverse things you've done and, and you know, how you're kind of combining them together now um, in your company now, Performance by Design. I think it's excellent.
6: No, mate, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It's great we finally got to do it and, and catch up again. So thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So we always end our interview with two questions and we'll slightly adapt them for you so the first question is what is something could be an idea a concept a behavior that you think needs to die in your particular industry something that you need to get rid of
9: i think i might have answered that before i think the idea here in australia is that academics are great but their feet are too far above the ground and therefore they dismiss them a lot more than other countries do uh, i do feel that in australia we dismiss the research element we don't value it as much and i think we need to value it more and the academics and the researchers it's not all it's not only academics but the researchers need to earn the trust of industry and understand it understand that it's not only about proposing new ideas but also delivering on what industry imperatives exist and that way then bringing the cultures together.
0: Perfect so conversely and last question so what is something that you think you should maintain in your industry at all costs something that you think is fundamental to your DNA that you should never forget?
9: I firmly believe that and and I've encountered that in my life all the time Whatever we do, we are now coming towards some really, really big challenges. I'm not talking about water and the other challenges and bushfires, which are big challenges for the nation, but even bigger challenges like the environment, like AI. AI is a huge opportunity, but also a challenge. We must make sure that people matter, and that we have humanity prevail. Because technology is advancing exponentially so fast, you'll see that what will happen in the next 20 years, you would not even imagine, even today, because it is an exponential growth in that area. We need to ensure that we maintain the human in the loop, if you like. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking very specifically around AI, machine learning, and the robots being able to produce their own robots and the AI, AI algorithms not necessarily keeping the humanity into the algorithms themselves.
0: Yeah, and I think it's Max Tegmark that has the saying that technology is about helping humanity, not like the other way around.
9: Exactly. We need to educate the technologists because often that's not the first thing they think. In other words, you need to have, if you like, humanity by design. Not just, oh, okay, we've done this, now let's think about privacy, let's think about ethics. And often they don't, they're just given the instruction to put ethics into AI, for instance. Yeah. You should be doing it by design from the start. Yeah.
0: And I think the challenging part there is that if you value ethics or morality or something else related to humanity before technology, then we might make a decision that some technologies are things that we might not pursue or we might, right? And, then, and that's always a real hard challenge from a technologist. Every path should be explored. But some we might say, you know, maybe that's not the best path for us to explore.
9: Yeah, and it's about finding ways... To deal with it, highly unlikely to stop, unless we blow ourselves up and then there's no problem. Uh, Well, big problem. (laughs) When we invented fire, we couldn't stop that. Someone would have invented it somewhere else and burned our house down. But also fire has given us a lot of benefits. It's not only burning other people's homes. The same with weapons and other things.
0: Yeah, and I think having that discussion, I think is a really valid point.
9: Would be a good podcast, possibly not for me, for someone more qualified in this area.
0: No, that's great. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Andy. That was great. No,
9: thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
3: If only one asteroid can provide all the platinum that we have ever mined and we will ever mine on Earth, <laughs> yeah, that's let's right. go after it. Yeah. Why not? Actually, let's do it even before we, it comes and hit us. So. Yeah, that's fine. Right. <laughs> so we're getting towards the end of
0: our interview, and we always uh, end our interview with two questions, which I'll slightly modify for you. So the first question is, so when it comes to space exploration and and space in general, let's just say that, what is something, an idea, a concept, a behavior that you think needs to die, that we need to get rid of, that people shouldn't
3: do anymore? Yes, that's a good question too. I I give a lot of talks to the general public and the moment they hear the word mining or extracting resources in space, they tend to think, uh, negatively, because of what we have done on Earth. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people will say, We've done it on Earth. Why do you want to do it in space? Why do we want to ruin space? And the way we should look at this is that the resources in space will give us an opportunity to conserve the ones that we have here on Earth. In fact, it yeah. gives us more opportunities. And so, let's not look at it as a negative way in, ter- in fact mining on earth is not all that bad mm-hmm. I mean we, we, it gives us a lot of the things that we use we just have to do it right yeah. and the other thing that comes out is why spoil space from just pure science and, and, and now look at it from the point of view of utilizing it because when we do that it will give us a chance to even know even more about space and it will benefit us all in here And in fact, I I always like to point out that, yes, we mentioned a lot of resources, platinum and water and gases and oxygen and all that. There's one resource that is very important and is seldom mentioned, and that is inspiration. I mean, space has a way to excite the young and the old, to unite all sorts of ideologies, countries, political views. It inspires us. Mm -hmm. And inspiration, it's a... It's a renewable resource. So might as well use it wisely as we start looking at how is that we can better utilize the resources in space to benefit all of us here on Earth by keeping that inspiration that space gives us to all of us.
0: I think that's a great point. So I said there were two questions. So the first one is, what is something that you think we need to kill? And the uh, second one is, what is something that we need to maintain? And I think you just answered that. You got it. Excellent. That's a perfect spot to end on. Thanks a lot for joining us, Angel. It was great. Thank you,
8: Ahmed. It's been a pleasure. I think we're at that same kind of point here. We, I mean, we always are, technology is always advancing, but it's very hard to go, well, why would we, why would we change our approach to to surveying for instance, with with geophysics from one or two surveys a year in, in isolated areas to just blanketing an entire tenement with uh, with equipment and just seeing the entire thing and getting all the data all at once. That's a pretty big shift. So yeah, it, I love the analogy
0: matter i I have to be a little bit upset here because you stole my thunder because the first question is what is something that you think needs to die the second question is what is something that you think needs to be maintained in the industry so you already jumped the gun on that one Uh, but (laughs) gary do you have one do you is there something that you think we need to kind of maintain something that we shouldn't forget that's fundamental to i guess our dna absolutely i think um the, my favorite part about working in
5: the mineral exploration industry is the passion that the geologists and geophysicists have for the discipline. It's pretty uh, remarkable to be in a field where people are so passionate about rocks and so passionate about learning more about the subsurface. And you can, you can sense that whenever you work with them and you provide them new information about the subsurface, you can see this excitement on their faces and you can see that they're excited to learn more about the subsurface. So I think it it really attracts people who are very passionate about the subject matter, and I think that's quite rare. I think that's not something that's very common
0: in, in yeah. the modern workplace. Yeah, you don't seem to find a lot of accountants that have that same level of of, of passion. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, like about, yeah, just in general yeah. terms, anyways. My my wife's an accountant, and that's something we joke about quite frequently around the dinner table. Is
5: she she doesn't understand how I can be so passionate about three D models and and looking at three D models around the dinner table when and her job is so focused on micro uh, micro efficiencies and things like that.
0: But I think it's a good point you make that yeah you know, like I guess we shouldn't forget that part right? Like yeah you know, like there has to be this intrinsic kind of passion and yeah you know, like even yeah you know, like someone like Matt you can tell that yeah you know, like when you have this kind of like a, like even a drive about trying to go and explore. Yeah you know, like you it it is that that desire to understand or to to evolve that leads to people you know jumping on a plane for three hours and sitting in a desert sucking dust for two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, again, yeah, it's not something that a lot of people would willingly kind of kind of do unless there was some intrinsic motivation that allowed you to get there. And I think it's
5: uh, it really is that like in our profession we are the modern day explorers. You know, we are the, Robin, the Robinson right. Crusoes of of the of the world nowadays because we're looking to see what's below the surface and we're trying to map areas that no one. No one can or will ever see. And I think that's a fantastic uh, career to be
0: in. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we talk about space exploration, you know, like one of the reasons why I guess we, or particularly I was interested in doing, uh, like, you know, going back and looking at history, even the Apollo missions, is that, you know, it was really the modern day uh, kind of expedition, uh, right? Like, yeah, it's the same as, you know, Columbus sitting in the old world and about to go and discover the new world. Um, and so we shouldn't lose, like, like, you know, side of that, that I think that this kind of advent of space exploration that's coming, you know, we are really those, you know, like explorers that we all kind of read about, you know, back in the day, like you know, Magellan and Columbus, all of these guys Mm -hmm. where we are really sitting at the precipice of the old world or the known world. And we're just about to kind of go off and kind of discover what, what's the possibility yeah, across the fence, um, and I think so, so. Yeah, so if you're not passionate about that, I think yeah, like this is really the modern day expedition we're going to do.
8: That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, what a what a time to be alive! You know, just at that at that moment when the technology is ready, the spaceships are almost ready, um, yeah. we're going. You know, that's uh, that's, all that's right. I mean, like life in another. 20 years,
0: like, you know, whatever, like 25 years, 50 years may not look anything like what we have previously had over the last 25, 50 years, you know, mm-hmm. it will be completely different. I think it's incredibly interesting and, and exciting to kind of be involved in that in whichever way you can.
8: Totally. And to, to go back to your analogy of the horse to the car, there was a, there's a great photo of New York. You, you've probably seen it where there are two photos side by side where, and it's, I think they're separated by something like seven or eight years. The streets are just horses. There are horses everywhere. Right. And then the next one is all cars. And you know that's that leap that people could not imagine, but suddenly it was unrecognizable. So right.
0: that's yeah, it's I'm, coming. I think that's a pretty good spot to end on. So uh, so Matt, Garrett, thanks a lot for joining us. This is great. This is probably one of the most fun conversations we've had on this show.
8: Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind. And thank you for having us.
5: Excellent. Thanks, lot. It was great.
0: This episode was brought to you by Amal Salim and Steve Beresford produced and edited by Sean Jeffrey, and made possible by the contributions of our many guests. It is their time and energy that really makes this podcast possible. And also, thanks to our listeners. Again, there wouldn't be a podcast if there wasn't anyone listening to it. Happy holidays and stay safe. Expression Radio is made possible by the support of the AIG, the One-to-One Group, and the Assay. And we are an official media partner of the 2023 PDAC Conference. Until next
4: time, let's keep exploring.